Thank you so much, Pastor John. And uh, just thank you last night for a great Mexican dinner with uh, you and the elders and your wives and an awesome time of fellowship. I'm, I'm on the road quite a bit because uh, I so believe and am committed to what we're doing. And I always count it a blessing to be able to get some dinner the night before with the pastors and get to know. And so you just blessed me and made me feel welcomed and, and just loved and, and a friend already. And so, and it's such an honor to be with you guys today. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we are going to, I'm going to be sharing a bit about the ministry, but I'm going to frame it around also an exhortation from the word. Um, and I believe a, an encouragement to many of you. And, and I pray also an exhortation. Uh, I say this often, it's not a typical message. And uh, my goal this morning will be to comfort some who are afflicted. And for some of you who are comfortable to afflict you a little bit, to, to challenge you, to exhort you, to... Um, to ask God, what would you have me to do? To listen and to hear his voice this morning. And uh, so Philippians chapter 2, a very familiar passage of scripture. Um, I'm reading from the ESV this morning, English Standard Version. I'm going to pick up in verse 1 and read through verse 11 and pray. And then we'll get right into the text and the message. Paul writes this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I just thank you so much, God. I thank you, Lord, just for your presence here during worship. Two or more are gathered, Lord, and just, just the, the love that is, is felt in this place, the love for you and, and amongst one another, Lord, and that is a tangible sign of your presence. And I just pray this morning, God, you would open our ears, open our hearts, that we might hear and see and feel and respond to you, to your presence, and to your word in the way that you have ordained. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know for most of us, we look at the news and we hear a lot of things that are absolutely discouraging. As is mentioned, Afghanistan, Ukraine, the stock market. And don't even look at that right now. If you're looking at your pensions and 401ks, it's been a depressing few months. And we're like, what is going on? We hear of inflation. We wonder what's going on in Washington. For me in California, pray for us. We have a, you know, I don't know if the politics are a whole lot different up here, but we've got, I mean, as bad as it is there. And sometimes you just want to rip your hair out. And I share all that in the midst of some things that at times can be so discouraging. God is on the move. He's always on the throne, and there is great and encouraging things. And I share that not only generally, but I want to share that as a word of encouragement, perhaps specifically to somebody here today. Because maybe for somebody here today, your life personally is going through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you're on the other side of it. Maybe you're right in the middle of it, and maybe it's off in a distance away. I want to say with everything in me, with every ounce of conviction that I have according to the word in my own personal life and story and God's faithfulness and goodness, God has a plan. 
Sometimes it may not seem like it. Sometimes we go, what is going on? God has a purpose. He has a plan. Romans 8, 28 is always true. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not everything is good. There's a lot of things that are evil and wicked and, and just absolutely wrong in this world. And yet we have a God who partners with his people who say, yes, right, my life is yours. And somehow in the sovereignty and providence and the power and goodness of God, he works all things out for good. And that good for you and me is, is, is life, the Bible says. It's not just life eternal, but that's a quality of life. Another way that Jesus describes this is abundant life. And what's so sad to me is there's so many believers I know who have walked with the Lord for many, many years who do not have what the Bible describes abundant life. They, they, they're going to heaven, but they're kind of miserable on the whole way, you know, the whole journey there. It's like, you know, the, the shoe's always going to fall off. It's always going to just be bad. It's just like Eeyore. There's, there's no real abundance and they're always just striving and they never really arrive. And for some people I meet, they, they have a lot. They have the, quote, American dream, and yet they don't really possess this abundant life. And I can share this with you this morning, my exhortations. I'm super blessed by God to, to interact with people, whether it's young moms who have been rescued out of the cartel in Mexico or some of the chaplains that I'll be with in just a couple of weeks. They have nothing that looks even remotely close to the American dream, and yet they have abundant life. They, they found the secret, really, and really what Philippians 2 is going to share with us, and I'll exhort us in a moment, God really will, is that the, the, really the path to life, the path to glory, the path to significance is found in a way that is so contradictory to everything this world tells us and, and the way it should be found. And, and I can testify to these who have seemingly nothing and yet have a life that oftentimes I'm envious of. You know, or, you know I, I pursue, they spur me on, you know, a, a freedom that... Most Christians that I know don't, don't have the freedom that they have. And they, there's no safety net. They have no social security. There's no 401k. There's none of these things. And yet there's a freedom. There's a trust. There's a life that they have. Because see, look, this life that the Bible describes to us is called also the resurrected life. And this resurrected life is found on the other side of resurrection. It means there's death. <laughs> just, just by saying that we, we say, yeah, the resurrected life, but we don't always know what that means. That means there's a death. And we know obviously the Lord is our example. Let this mind, we have that same mindset. What was the mindset? We'll see where did Jesus go? What did he do? But that's also true for us on the other side of whatever that death might be. There is life. So this morning I want to share a little bit of background just to make a way of introduction to our ministry far-reaching. I'm going to jump into the text and then I'm going to give us an update on Ukraine a bit. I'll touch on Afghanistan, but really Ukraine is at the forefront of what we are actively currently um, involved in and still are in many other places, but I do want to give you an update on that. Far-reaching ministries began kind of accidentally, at least accidentally from a human standpoint, 27 years ago. And there's no accidents with God. Uh, but 27 years ago, our founder, uh, Wes Bentley, was part of a different missions organization and, and actually had a heart for Russia. In fact, he still does, and I'll share about that in a little bit. But was in Russia and was ministering and bringing Bibles and helping plant churches. And because he was a former military man in special forces with the Marines, he was contacted to come to Sudan with a different ministry, basically for reconnaissance. It was a three-week, get in there and, and see, is this safe? Can we bring Bibles? Can we minister? Can we set up refugee camps? And so it was his job to go in and just basically set up, yes, this is safe, go here, don't go there. Well, on this trip, out of an, you know, an obedience to the Lord, he ends up getting introduced to several different high-ranking officials, and one general in particular. Now, southern Sudan at the time was still part of Sudan. It's now its own country. 
Uh, but southern Sudan had been in a decades-long civil war with the northern part of Sudan. Northern part primarily Arabic, primarily um, ideologically Islamic and militant and fully persecuting the south. I mean, genocide happening in certain regions. And so the south of Sudan, primarily Christian and animist, had been suffering years and years of persecution. And there was a resistance, uh, obviously an army, to the repelling the aggression and evil atrocities from the north. One of these generals, you know, and in war, you know, there's a lot of good things, but some really bad things happen. And sometimes in in the fight to protect, sometimes some men do some things that they they just can't shake. And there was a general who was like that, and there were just been some things that along the way, caught up in the firefights and caught up in the protection, had done some things that he was not proud of and really couldn't sleep at night and couldn't really lose this sense of shame and guilt to some of the things that he had done that he knew he had gone too far with. And Wes was able to talk with this general, and he shared the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus. And this general couldn't believe that he could be forgiven. And Wes said, yes, you too can be forgiven. He shared about with this general about the Apostle Paul who actually persecuted Christians, and God saved him and redeemed him and restored him and used him. And this general still couldn't believe, but eventually the Holy Spirit softened his heart, and he received the Lord, and there was something powerful that happened in his life. And this general said, my men need what you have. My men are, you know, they're, they're fighting, they're suffering. They need, will you come and teach my men? That, that, and so what was an invitation began through, you know, really not any desire to be in Sudan. He liked cold weather. Sudan on a, on a nice mild day is about 100 degrees. And, and one thing Wes has always instilled with us and the staff is obedience always brings blessing. And so he prayed and heard from the Lord and said, no, this is from you, Lord. And so over 27 years ago, our chaplaincy program was established and really far-reaching ministries began with the heart's desire to train train men who are serving, not like our chaplains in the military. Our chaplains do an amazing job, but they simply mostly provide spiritual care. There they provide spiritual care, but these are also men who are trained in frontline combat units. So they get their military training, they're carrying weapons, they are committed to pretend, protecting the innocents, and, and we instill that in them too. Like, you will give your last breath fighting and protecting the innocent. But they also go through a year of Bible college, Genesis to Revelation. We bring different pastors out who teach them through the entire word of God. And I'm sharing this tonight with, with the pastor and a couple of the elders. It's awesome with their, their ministry, these men, because not only they get through Bible college or a year of Bible training, but they get three months of women's ministry and three months of children's ministry. And that always gets everybody's attention because you're like, what? <laughs> and the reason we do this is we know that war always produces the most you know, horrible atrocities, and the innocent are those who suffer. And women and children are always at the hands of, of evil, oftentimes, far beyond their control, and they're the ones that deal with the most trauma. And so we need to train our men not only to fight to protect, but also how to care and how to walk through. And these men, like I said, I get to go in two weeks back. We have a refresher course for a couple of weeks, and we bring them off the field, and we resupply, and we, we have a week-long Bible conference. And so I get to meet a lot of these guys, my friends. And it's amazing because I've been out there before with them and these men who have, they'll have shrapnel wounds, they'll have bullet wounds and they never really want to talk about that and you eventually got to get them, they'll tell you some stories. But these same men who have seen things that I can't even imagine, I've been on outreaches with them doing VBS and so these kids, these big soldiers are playing like Red Rover, Red Rover, you know, (laughs) And, and they're picking up kids and there's this incredible heart and compassion and these are men that, if need be, can pick up a rifle and need be put a bullet through the enemy and, and do that in a moment's notice, but also have a heart of compassion. And it's incredible. I think of one man in particular, and I can't wait to catch up with him. He's a friend of mine, Paul Quo. He's a Dinka. And he's about six foot five. And when he shakes my hand, it just kind of gets lost in there somewhere. 
And I remember, I guess it was a few years back, um, it was about day three of the conference, and we were talking and hanging out, and I was just talking with Paul, and I went to pray for Paul. I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? He said, oh yeah, he had the biggest smile, just the white, the blackest of skin and the whitest of teeth. And I went to put my hand on his back, and he was on fire. And when I say he was on fire, it wasn't spiritually speaking, that guy's on fire. No, it was literally like a, a fever that I had never felt before. And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, oh, I'm fine. And he didn't really want to talk about it. And eventually left, and one of his friends said, well, actually pray for him. I said, yeah, I am. What's going on? He's like, well, he's, he's got typhoid and malaria, and he's been going to the clinic every morning. He didn't have just one. He had both that he was dealing with. And he had walked there you know, over a week to come to Refresher Conference, and I watched him all, you know, the entire sessions, taking copious notes and worshiping. These are the kind of men, you know, like I say, that we get the privilege of, of training and serving and supporting and really seeing a whole continent and really a whole country and our prayers a whole continent change for the lord these are men that really have encapsulated what we kind of is our you know not a stated mission but how we view ourselves as a ministry how the lord has created us and that is we are often called to run into places that others are running out of and that really is kind of found in what these men do over and over again if you ever get the chance to come to uh, our headquarters in Southern California, and I would love to, if you happen to be there and want to, I'd love to give you a tour, but uh, it's a sobering thing. It's an incredible place, but it's sobering in that we have what we call our wall of honor. And on the wall of honor, there's 69, and we need to update it because 73 of our chaplains over the last 27 years have given their life for the gospel and protecting women, children, and others. And these aren't men who have a death wish. No, not at all. They are men who do not count their lives dear to themselves. They have given up all to follow the Lord. You've heard that expression, you know, all gave some and some gave all. They realize that's what it would take and for some that's what it costs them. And I, and I see them often and I walk around and I, and it reminds me, it motivates me, it encourages me and I read their stories. And I don't know all of the men, but quite a few of them I do know. Quite a few of them I have prayed with and I think, wow, you were there last time. And I'm excited to go back and, like I said, and encourage. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to encourage them. Really, the reality is they're going to encourage me far more than I will encourage them. They they remind me of David's mighty men, you know. And you think, when you read about the exploits that David and his men did, I think about these guys. And, again, their heart's desire to obey the Lord, to do whatever it is that God is calling them to do. Well, that obedience brings blessing. What started off in South Sudan and in raising chaplains has expanded, like, Pastor John said we're in 37 countries, and a large division of our ministry is what we call our ghost operations. And ghost operations essentially is the invisible hand to the closed and persecuted body of Christ in the world, in places like Afghanistan and Syria and, and Iraq, um, in some of these different countries where, the, you know, to, to openly preach the name of Jesus will get you beheaded or executed, and yet we have brave men and women countless men and looking forward to getting back to turkey this later on this year if we can bring them in and encourage them and they're willing to risk their lives to preach the gospel to bring medical care to take care of widows and orphans and so like i said what began there in sudan has now brought us to places like north korea even in places like iraq and syria and, and every country has a little different uh, footprint some of our some of the countries we have a much larger work some it's a pioneering one person kind of work but in that country and these are some of the most dangerous countries in the world. Again, the term ghost operations comes from a military. If you, uh, background our, our, you know, uh, our founder and president, that's, that's who he is. That's where he came from. And, and our ministry is unique in that we have a lot of, uh, patriots, uh, current and former people who have served the, served our country and then served the Lord and have volunteered and are part of a lot of the things that we do. 
With that comes to where I fit in in a ministry as our victims of war. And we have, because of, I mentioned, because of all these things, there's a lot of innocence that the Lord loves, near and dear to God's heart. You read the Old Testament over and over. Read the New Testament. Pure, pure religion. Not fake or false religion, but pure religion, the Bible says, is to take care of widows and orphans. And so there's a lot of innocence that, that the Lord loves and that we feel very called to come alongside and to help take care of, whether it's our school in, in Uganda that I'll be visiting next week, whether it's building homes down in, in Mexico. This is near and dear to my own heart because my youngest son, Isaac, who graduates this week on Friday, we adopted him from Uganda many years ago. And, and my little son is now my big son up here <laughs> and uh, an amazing football player. I felt sorry for whoever tried to tackle him. Uh, but more than that, um, he's an anointed, gifted worship leader who loves Jesus, and that's what he wants to do. And so when I had the opportunity to work with in, in this particular area, I was like, absolutely I, I get the privilege because where I live in San Diego, I do oversee a lot of Latin America in particular, and I get to drive down to Ensenada, which is about a two-hour drive, so I'm there more frequently. And it's there that we are you know, working alongside um, um, women who have been rescued out of the cartel. And we have a, a home near Casa del Pastor. It's a home for basically battered and abused women where they, they have a place of safety and we walk with them and they get discipled and they get encouraged. But not just that, they don't stay there. But what happens is, it's amazing, is they end up getting back on their feet and they end up getting to a place where we, what we do is we come alongside. And when they get enough money to buy a piece of land, which usually takes a year or two, and it's about $2,500 to buy a plot of land, then we we come alongside and we build them a house that costs about fifteen to 18000 depending on it. And it's incredible to see we build a house for them for one generation so we don't have to do it for the next. And, and to walk with them and to hear their stories. And I think whatever, whatever I think I've ever gone through in life is nothing. And to see what they've been through and the joy and to hear their hearts. I think of one little boy named Luis. I think about Luis often, and this was about, it was just right before Christmas we were down there. Uh, it was the month, early part of December. And so what we did with Luis and a group of other kids, uh, we took him to the beach. And you think, if you know anything about Ensenada, it's actually on the ocean. It's a great beach town. Um, but these kids had never been to the ocean. They'd never been to the beach, you know. And so what we took, we took about 15 kids to the beach that day, and Wes was there, and basically every kid had a birthday that day. <laughs> Whether it was their birthday or not, they all had birthday presents, we had a barbecue, uh, we brought them to the beach, there was uh, uh, somebody walking by with uh, pony rides, and we had ah, we'll bring them over, and we put the kids on the pony, and one little boy in particular, Luis, I remember very powerfully. And see, I knew the story of Luis. His two younger sisters had been rescued by their grandma from their mom who was addicted to drugs, whose boyfriend was in the cartel. And so somehow grandma got the, the little sisters out. And one night, Luis, who was seven at the time, heard his mom late at night, high, talking with her boyfriend about selling Luis to the cartel. And to sell Luis to the cartel meant he would, at, at best, he would be forced to beg at the border, you know, for money and give all the money over to the cartel. At worst, have his body used and exploited for somebody else's financial gain. And so Luis heard that, and then trauma ran all the way across Ensenada in the middle of the night, and somehow, miraculously, found the home of his grandma. Ensenada is not a small town. It's a huge place. And truly, the angels of God were guiding Luis. But the trauma that he went through for a year, Luis didn't really talk. And I share this story because I saw Luis that day, and so we had walked with Luis, and we understand when we when we bring in the widows and orphans, it's not just enough, here's some bread, here's some food, here's a house. We absolutely know and that's essential to provide, but we work with local pastors, and we realize that some of these kids need a little bit more care. 
And so for Luis, I knew that we were giving him music lessons and there was other things that were happening. And so that day on the beach, he hadn't really been talking and he was laughing. He was on the horse. He was smiling and he was talking again. And I share that story because in the midst of the darkness, you know, and you go, man, there's so much. No, there's good things that are happening. And God does touch and God is healing. I just got back from Costa Rica and I'll, maybe I'll come back in another time and share more about this, but we have this new children's home that we're pioneering. Um, it's called, in Spanish, it's Estrellita de Mar, which means little starfish. And it's a home uh, of about that we can have 100 up to 120, and we have a staff of 26. Now, these are kids that are being rescued out of the cartel, out of sex trafficking and organ harvesting. And some of the things I would tell you would just make you weep. You think, how is this possible? And yet it's, it sadly is. And the story behind the name of that, um, you might have heard this before. I shared this last night, and Pastor John had heard this story. But many years ago, there was a young girl on the beach and the tide had gone out, and it was littered with starfishes. And this girl was picking up the starfishes, and as much as she could, she was throwing them back into the ocean. And an older, cynical, hardened man came up and said, What are you doing? Do you think what you're doing is going to make a difference? Look at all these. And she just picks up another one and looks at them and throws it back, and she says, It makes a difference to this one. And that's really our heart's cry and desire and, and, and our commitment to the Lord is... There, there are so many things, but we say, Lord, we want to save as many as we can. We want to do as, as much as we possibly can. When I was down there uh, a couple weeks ago, I was part of the training for our staff and encouraging them. I was sharing the word, and then later on, we had a, a person from the tactical SWAT team who was actually in charge of that division, and he was going through the ladies um, training them on on defensive maneuvers on how to uh, basically where to park and where to walk from the compound and how you never let anybody in and and it went on and on and what happens if somebody breaks through and what happens if they grab a knife and whether it's a gun and, and it was on and on and all this safety training that was extremely sobering now mind you these were not women who had had any kind of military background they weren't police officers they were just people like you who were willing to say yes and it struck me these are just moms and, and young women who are risking their lives to bring healing to these kids. And I asked Daniel, the instructor, you know, do they realize what they're doing? He's like, oh, yeah. And in the course of this, he said something that was interesting. Uh, a couple of weeks previous, they were doing some training on trauma and sexual trauma and, you know, that, that people go through. And how does that, you know, what, what does it take? And in the course of doing that, he discovered that 80% of his staff had been the victims of some sort of sexual assault or trauma as a kid. Daniel himself, our leader, that was his own story and testimony. And I thought about this because you may have heard the expression, hurt people hurt people. You know, it's an expression and it's very true. We've all been on the receiving end of that. But here's what I am convinced of as a believer's body of Christ is healed people heal people. When God's love comes and heals us, when we're forgiven, when we're given hope, when we can dream and we can laugh again, we're compelled to say, I want to do something. I know what that's like to be hurt so deeply and yet to be healed. I have to do something. And to see that team and that staff there do that is incredible. It inspires me. It motivates me. And hopefully it encourages you. Well, Philippians chapter 2, and coming back to our text a bit. What we have here is one of the oldest passages of Scripture in the New Testament. In fact, it was a, you know, the scholars tell us it was actually an early song. Before I jump in, let me ask you a question, though. How many of you desire to live a life of significance? 
Sometimes it's always funny when a, when a pastor asks a question that there's like nervous hands. Are you trying to trick me? I know sometimes pastors ask these trick questions. No, there's no trick question. Legitimately, how many want to live a life that counts? Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing egotistical about that or prideful. No, you were created in the image of God. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Now, you might have been an accident to your parents. Maybe your brother or sister was like 15 years older or something and whoops. But you were not an accident to God. God has created you and has a purpose for your life. We should desire that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the disciples, they, they wanted to live lives of significance. Remember, they were kind of arguing and they wanted to be on the left and right. Jesus actually never rebuked them for wanting to be great. But what he did challenge them and what he did show is he redefined what greatness looks like. He says, can you drink this cup? Do you really understand? The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Are you ready to do that? Because in our popular culture, significance means you're the CEO. It means you've got a lot of people underneath you reporting to you. You make more money than everybody else. Jesus says, flip that upside down. How many do you serve? Because it's not about positions. It's about people. It's not about status, it's about service. That's, that's significance. Many years ago, I was uh, doing a funeral, and as a pastor, I actually enjoy doing weddings, and I really enjoy doing memorial services. Um, some people have a tough time around that, and I understand, but I love it because at that moment, people have, <laughs> I have an attentive audience, <laughs> and they're wrestling through the real questions of life that most people do everything in their life to avoid. And I remember being at the graveside, and we'd already, I'd finished a part of the ceremony and the family were saying their goodbyes. And I was just walking around. It was one of those moments. And I'm looking at the gravestones and reading some of the epitaphs. And, and one of them in particular struck me. And a lot of times they have scriptures, but one of them said this. I fought the good fight. I, I, I finished my race. I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. And I just thought about that. And I realized at the time, I was a younger man then. And I thought, well, that, it, it struck me. But then I, I, it, it like, Lord, I want that to be true of my life. And I can tell you this, as years have gone by, I realize how, what a significant statement that Paul makes. Because a lot of people who run the race, but they don't finish well. And we probably all know people who, who are Christians and started off good and maybe ran the, you know, the, the middle part pretty well. But somewhere along the way, they just lost heart or they got sidetracked. They didn't really finish well. And so when Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. That was a significant statement. And I'm like, Lord, more than else, I believe that would be true of me. I remember looking down and I saw these two dates. And we know this. There's a born on date and an expiration date. <laughs> when I was brought into this world and when I left this world. And what was in between was a dash. And your life, my life, is really summed up. What's the dash? What did I do in the dash, that time that the Lord gave me? And for some people, there's a lot of years in between that, but the dash isn't really, there's not a lot there. And for some people, those, there's not a lot of time, per se, between that, but that dash is significant. So it's not just about quantity of time, it's what we choose to do with that time that the Lord has given to us. Philippians chapter 2 shows us how to make that dash count. And it's not like we think. We're told here, it says, look out for your interests, but also for the interests of others. It's okay. Look out for your interests, but also to the interest of others. It goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then it shows us the path. Now, what I mentioned to you earlier, this is one of the oldest passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Commentaries, theologians tell us that the way it was written and framed 
was it was initially a song. And so it was a song that, like scripture that was sung, and it was part of the spiritual formation of the early church. And so they would sing, and, and it was like a hymn, and what that would do, you know, worship has a way of getting in you. Music has a way of like connecting your mind with your emotions. And so they would sing this portion of scripture, and it was forming them. Let this mind, let this attitude be in you. The same exact mindset, the same exact attitude that Jesus had. Well, what was this attitude? The king of glory makes himself of no reputation. The king of glory is willing to lay aside his, quote, name. He's willing to humble himself. He truly, like this says, he thinks of others in obedience to his father, in love for you and for me and for a lost world. He humbles himself and thinks of others and is obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. There was death, but then what does it say? It doesn't end there, does it? It says, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every tongue confess, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the pattern. This is the mindset. What we're told to is look at this, emulate this, follow in his footsteps, have this same mindset attitude. Remember I mentioned resurrected life. Well, it comes on the other side of death. It comes and we quit thinking about ourselves all the time and we begin to have a mindset and attitude that thinks of others. Listen, this is a choice. This is a paradox. It's a paradoxical choice. If I want to be filled, I need to be emptied first. If I want to have a, quote, name, I need to make myself of no reputation, just like Jesus. I've got to be emptied of my control, of my pride, of things that I think, and be filled with his love, with his peace, with his power. If Jesus was willing to lose his reputation, then... I can expect nothing less. Lord, I lay aside my reputation and follow you. Again, those chaplains that I spoke of and, and the people like Magali and Luis and others, they, they, they don't love their life even unto death. It says in Revelation 12, they, we overcome the, the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and we did, they did not love their life even unto death. And because there's that mindset, there's a freedom. It's like, Lord, my life is yours. To live as Christ. To die is gain. In church this morning, I want to tell you it's a choice. Paul is saying here, let this mind. Let means in the English, permit to enter. There's a choice. Let this, allow this, embrace this choice. There is a choice that you must make. And I'm convinced it's not just a choice you make one time in your life. Certainly there's that moment of salvation. But I'm convinced that God always has more for us and that more is often found, it's always really found on the other side of some kind of death. You know, where we relinquish control and we say, Lord, I trust you. And sometimes there's things that are because of our own choosing and many times it's the choice of others that come to us. But how will you respond? Any uh, Lord of the Rings nerd fans out there? Just me, a few head nods. I don't know if you read the books or watched the movies. So if not, bear with me for a moment. But... If the, the premise of the story is there's this great evil and there's a ring that's attached to this o- overlord named Sauron and they have to destroy this ring of power and save Middle Earth. And if you know the story, it's this young little, little hobbit, very weak, powerless person who's given the task to do this. And the, the, the hobbit's name's Frodo and he's talking to the mighty wizard Gandalf and he says this and I, I remember hearing it. And he says, I wish this did not have to happen in my lifetime. And he essentially echoes what any of us who have ever been through anything say. I wish this 
Couldn't this have been somewhere else, somebody else, something else? Why me? Why now? And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And Tolkien, who wrote it, was a believer, and I think that's true. It's like Esther for such a time as this. Esther saying, can somebody else do this? I don't want to do this. And Mordecai, her uncle, says, no, for such a time as this. And I think in all of our lives, there'll be an Esther moment, you know, whatever that might look like for you. It may be huge. It may be, you know, it might be small to somebody else, but it'll be huge to you. I can guarantee that. For such a time as this, let this mind be in you. I want the way of Jesus. And the greater the death, the greater the resurrection. The early church knew this. Really, the true church of Christ has always known this. Every believer who really ever experiences that abundant life understands this. The cross is something that we choose. Sometimes it's placed on us by our enemies, just like it was for Jesus, but there was still a choice that he made that we constantly have to make. I'm going to show a video now. It's a video. It's from Danny, who's actually one of our pastors in Syria. And it it shares this story, and it's an encouraging story. And I just want to give us a perspective because this is what the body of Christ is going through in different parts of the world. And then it ends with some of our chaplains who have gone to be with the Lord. And it's a a bit of a memorial. And it's sobering but encouraging. And then after that, I'm going to come up and share a little bit about Ukraine and close the service. So if the video's ready, we'll watch that now. When the war starts, many problems happen, and it's so difficult to continue the ministry. And we know some someday uh, the problems is come inside our homes, not just in our city or in our area. Uh, that time I speak to the leaders, and uh, we met together, and I said, as in Acts book, the believers when they have the persecuted most of them they go out of Jerusalem if you want now to go out of your area or out of Syria to save your families this is good if God gave you this to do but uh, we we must to know maybe one day the problems come to our families and to our life and maybe we will lost our life one day you know when I left the room and after time, I turned back to see the decision of the leaders. I found 25 people. They stand there and they said, we will not leave. We will continue to serve God here in this area. And we will continue the ministry. If we are die, we will go to Jesus. And if we leave here, we will be with Jesus. And you know, but they asked me something to do. They said, if one of our team die, you know we are non-Christian background and no one will take care about our body if we killed or something happened to us. Uh, what we can do if this happened? For that, we buy this land and we built a graveyard. This graveyard for if anyone killed from our team, we can put him there. This is the first building of our ministry. I think it's first uh, happened in Raqqa city in Syria. They give the chance for the uh, Christian. They said to him, if you leave your Christianity now, you can be uh, hold your life, or if not, we will kill you. This this decision is, you, you know, it's must to 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 take directly. Uh, 
And most of the Christians said, no, we are ready to die for Jesus. And for that, they, uh, you, you can see many uh, pictures about the Christian. They put them in the cross. And when they put them, many times they put in the uh, area, all the people can see them. To learn the people, if you will be Christian, this is your what will happen to you. Uh, and uh, most of the people, I thank God for these uh, heroes in the faith. They die for Jesus and they put them in the cross. You remember when I told you about the stories about the man who uh, with his son and uh, they bring them and they ask them to leave uh, them faith in Jesus Christ. But the father said no and the son said no. And they asked the father, if you don't uh, come to Islam now, we will, we will kill your son in front of your, your eyes. And after that, they cut the head of the son and they start to play football in his head, front of his father's eyes. This is something incredible. You cannot understand what's happened. But through all this bad news, you can see the hope is growing between this uh, uh, difficult and uh, bad people. You know, so, sometimes many people ask me why why you continue in the ministry in Syria, especially in this time in the war. The important things for uh, for our life to be in God willing. This is our call from God to uh, to do the ministry in Syria. When we are inside the, the God willing, that means we are in the safe place. But if we are go out of God willing and go out of Syria, that means we are in the dangerous place. Maybe I, I can go like to Lebanon, to Jordan, to US, to, to anywhere and continue my life there. But that means I am go out of God willing. That means I am in dangerous. The important things in our life, not to be alive, but to be with Jesus willing. But if I am in, inside the dangerous, but in God willing, that means I am in the safe place. This is my belief and I trust in Jesus. He will keep my life and when he wants me to go to him, I am ready to do this. want to give a note of encouragement. Danny, who you saw in the first part of that video, was with us actually out in Texas about six months ago, giving us an update. We were able to get him out. And he said, I want you to tell the body of Christ that that grave is still empty. You know, they bought the place. And as of now, the Lord has been so good. And to continue to pray. He said, tell the church. He was he had a big smile. He said, that grave is still empty. And we're like, praise the Lord. Well, I want to end a little bit with Ukraine, and I, I share that because we've been called to these different places of war, Burma, Nigeria, southern Sudan, um, Afghanistan, which we are continuing to work towards and work with, and it really does involve a lot of our, our efforts now with Afghan and rescuing believers out of that has been it grown increasingly challenging when Russia invaded Ukraine. And so when Ukraine did... When we saw those events take place, again, Wes knew he wasn't looking for another war to be involved in. We had 
churches in Russia, 15 Calvary Chapel churches that we've planted, hundreds of um, Russian widows and widowers that we help sponsor and take care of. We have a lot of work in Russia. We also have a lot of workers in Ukraine. And when this happened, our hearts were broken. But we knew we had to respond. And there's a lot of people who want to talk politics on both sides and who's right and who's wrong. And we knew at the end of the day, there was a lot of innocent people that were suffering. And it was our job to get in there and and to manifest. When I say manifest, practically the love of Jesus. That means taking care and, and whether it was transportation, whether it was medicine, whether it's supplies, whether it's obviously Bible distributions and all sorts of things. We knew this was really the buffer, the front line of, of so much evil. In fact, we just got an update. I did a debriefing just this last week. I was sharing with the team a little bit last night. First-hand accounts and videos of some of the atrocities that took place in Ukraine that some of the media is reporting and some of it weren't really sure what's true and what's not true. Well, I can tell you first-hand accounts from one of my good friends on his own video camera from his phone, the things that I saw of what happened to civilians in some of these areas that was absolutely unspeakable. i never seen anything quite like that. And I share that to say that motivates us to continue to go there and to be there and to put ourselves in those places and work with a lot of believers who are unwilling to leave in those areas. And I will say that as we continue to pray for everything, there's a lot of believers in Russia who are against this, a lot of believers in Russia who are praying and, and, and are hurting and are and realize they're in a very tough situation. They speak out, and if they do speak out, they will be let, let off in the middle of the night. And some of our pastors, in fact, one of our pastors, we had to get out of the country, and he's in a, another country right now because he was targeted by Putin and his men. But in the midst of all this, we see three million people displaced, the largest displacement of people in Europe since World War II. There are some incredibly awesome, amazing stories as well about the body of Christ willing to stand up and to do something. Brent, one of the guys I was just telling you about was there, and he told me of a, of a, a, a Ukrainian woman who was 81 years old, a believer in one of the churches they were working at, and who had lived through Soviet Union, the USSR, and had lived through all kinds of things. And, you know, for a long time, the Ukrainians, they got along with Russia, they, you know, but in 2014, when Russia invaded Crimea, the, the, there was a definite shift. And even those who still were sympathetic over this last invasion, they are done, they're fed up, and they're willing to stay and, and do something about it. 81 with her husband, who was 84, well, they weren't going to leave, and they lived in a suburb of Kiev, and it got bombed. And they refused to leave. And when Brent got there, this family, their home had been bombed early part of March, still winter is freezing, but they refused to leave. And they were really living in this kind of chicken cooped sort of shack in their backyard through the harsh winter. And they said, we are not leaving. We are going to rebuild. We're not going to let Putin and these people win. And so he was encouraging them and just, just, just like, yeah, somebody introduces themselves as Henri. <laughs> so, so this was an Henri woman who wasn't going to go anywhere and wasn't going to put up with evil and wasn't going to retreat. And her husband was like, all right, dear, I guess we're staying and we're building. <laughs> so, uh, we've committed to work with them and to rebuild their house as a ministry. And I just love that, that tenacity, that spirit that says, no, I'm not turning tail. I'm not leaving. We're staying here. And through God's providential connections, one of our, our key leads is a guy by the name of Luke, who's been a board member for, for years and is now working with us, retired 26 years with the FBI, one of the very top guys in the FBI. And because of these connections, put us into contact with Zelensky's cabinet, and, and through that, the network of chaplains, Christian chaplains in the Ukrainian army. We're very familiar with working with chaplains. And, and the chaplaincy program in Ukraine wasn't started by us, but we work very well and have a very similar um, DNA. Like, no, we get it. They, they have the same mindset. In fact, it was began, their, their, their chaplaincy program began in 2014 when Russia invaded Ukraine. And the believers like, we need to have something here in place. 
And so through that, we're able to coordinate a lot of our relief efforts through the body of Christ, through Calvary chapels, through some Baptist churches, and through the larger network of chaplains there. And what that means is bringing in insulin and medical care. What that means is three million people are being, you know, driven all over the country trying to find safe place. And so we've worked with the local churches there. And so the local churches and the deacons have become the transport drivers. And so they're willing to risk their lives. When I say risk their lives, what we have done as a ministry is come alongside and provided body armor for the deacons who are saying, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to risk my life to get people to where they need to go. Not only in Ukraine, but in the neighboring areas. Uh, John mentioned, Pastor John mentioned Jason Havertape. He's in Georgia. At one point, about six weeks ago, I don't know what the current number is, Jason, is, his wife and kids had come back to the States and everything broke out. He stayed behind. And in his one apartment, he had a 100 refugees just in his one apartment. And sometimes they were staying there for a night or two on their way to somewhere else. But he's feeding, he's buying socks. And, and we kept saying, 100? Are you sure? And he's like, I, how do you get 100 people in an apartment? But that's to kind of give you an idea of what was taking place. One of the stories from one of these deacons outfitted with body armor, and by the way, one of the stories of the body armor, uh, Brent was telling me, he met when he was just on the last trip there, and he's heading back, in fact, Luke's there now, um, uh, in the local church, it was a young woman, she was 25, and she was a master pianist and a teacher at the local um, college, well, she became a body armor expert, and we're like, what? Her job and profession was that, but she's, I refuse to go, I'm not leaving, what can I do? And somehow, she was, you know, she figured out where to source it, how to stow it, how to, you know, do it, and so we provided the funds, and she was the one that was kind of instrumental in the body armor distribution to these chaplains who were driving about two weeks ago, one of our chaplains was ambushed and surrounded by Russian soldiers. We just found out this story a week ago, and they unloaded their automatic weapons and left him for dead. The car was completely incapacitated, and thankfully, it was just him in the car at the time. Somehow, miraculously, he was spared. Not any of the bullets hit him. Eventually, the soldiers left, and he was able to make his way out of out of the vehicle and walk 35 kilometers back to the base, back to where the churches were operating. And the first things out of his mouth were, can somebody give me another vehicle? I've got more work. i got more people I need to pick up. And we're like, just, the, the team was saying, no, no, why don't you take a break? He's like, no, I have to go. I have to get back out there. I have to do this. One of the other stories was on one of these transportation runs. It was actually a Calvary Chapel pastor who was there and part of the transportation team and driving. And, and, a, and a man came out and he was crying and sobbing. He says, please take my mom. Please take my mom. We need to get out of here. And he pulls it in his pocket and he opens his hand and his hand's got some gold in it. And the pastor says, no, 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 no. Put away your money. We're, people are more precious than gold. They're more valuable than gold. We'll, we'll, we'll get you. We'll get your mom out. And and so they took this this man and they took his mother you know, far away into a neighboring area, working with another, uh, another church, another uh, Calvary chapel. And when they went in, this is a true story, they went into the church building, the pastor who was driving had never been there, and they went in, and on the wall was a mural, and it said this in, in Ukrainian, people are more precious than gold. And, and the man just wept. He absolutely broke and wept. He felt so seen by God. The pastor who was driving had said this, and the pastor didn't know it was written on the wall, and he saw that, he's like, okay, Lord. You know, we see on the news, NATO is doing things, but I want to tell you, church, it's nothing compared to what the body of Christ is doing and can do. And the body of Christ prays and says, I'll do something. I can't do everything, but I'll do what, God, you would have me to do. Let me tell you story after story in different areas of suffering, but also of the light of God's kingdom shining forth. Something my mom told me years ago, my mom's an intercessor, my grandma before her was an intercessor, right, of a Eunice and a Lois, like Timothy before me. 
And my mom says this, the devil always shows you what's important, what the greatest threat is by what he attacks. And so she, she'll always, I'll, I'll say something like, oh man, I'll be complaining. And my mom's always just like, kind of rebuking me. Well, you now you know what's important. The devil showed his hand. Now you know what to pray for. Now you know what he's after. And what we see in the world over and over is what is he after? He's after those that are nearest and dearest to God's heart and widows and orphans. He's after your, you and your life and your family and so, so many different areas. So what does this mean for you, church? What, what, what is, what is it that God's asking you? What, what do you do? How do you, how do you respond to this? And I guess a few things I would encourage you and exhort you with, um, is to care, is to feel. Is to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do in my own life? I, I, I can't go to Sudan. I can't go to Burma. I can't go to Ukraine. But you can go across the street. What can you do here in, in Newburgh? What would the Lord have you to do here? Lord, what's my dash look like? You got a pulse, right? You got a purpose. You know, God has something for each and every one of us. He would say, Lord, do I have the same mindset? Have I really let your mind be my mind? Is that the choice I'm making, Lord? Is my dash, is it going to count? Can I say like Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith? What does that mean for us as a ministry? How can you partner with us? I would say pray. Anybody want to hear a cool God story real quick? Of course. This is a true story. I was talking to Ed, one of our senior um Leeds American, and he was in um, on the road from Juba down to Nimli in southern Sudan. This was about six or seven years ago. And I was asking him, you ever get any stories? He was telling me all these things. He's like, well, here's a story. I haven't told a whole lot. And I was like, Ed, why have you never told the story? It's amazing. So he's driving back on Nimli at night to Nimli to the compound on a road that was notorious for ambushes and, and thugs. And normally they never took the road at night, but they had to that particular evening. I don't know the circumstances, but our senior chaplain, James, was driving and up in the road, sure enough, there was a band of about 20 guys, armed armed men, um, stopped the truck. Ed looks over to James and starts talking, and he's a, Ed's a little bit nervous of what's going on, and he says something to James, and James, who's normally a very joking, jovial guy, turns to Ed and says, shut up, Ed. And at that point, Ed realized, this is serious. And I said, Ed, what did you think? He said, oh, I thought I was going to see Jesus that night. He said, I was convinced at that moment, this is it. And so he's sitting there in the car, and I'm like, did you pray? He's like, I, I prayed, but I was just like, I just made my peace. <laughs> so he said, he said, I didn't, I just thought, this is it. Okay, here's my time. And James is out there, the chaplain, and he's kind of arguing, and the men are yelling back. They got the, they've now got their guns ready. And then Ed says, out of the corner of his eyes, he sees the largest man, this African man, comes out of the bush, he says, and gets on the road, and then turns and begins to address this group of armed men. And as he's addressing him, the voice gets louder, and all of a sudden the men who have weapons, they put him down, and, and Ed says they just have this confused look on their face. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, it was the strangest thing. It was like this, they like mesmerized all of a sudden. And all of a sudden he says, James gets back in the car, and Ed says, what's, what's going on? He says, I don't know, let's just get out of here. And so the, the crowd of men somehow, for some reason, lets them drive on, they make it to the compound. The next day, they, they go back to the area during daylight. They bring a few more soldiers with them, uh, but they want to find out who was this guy? What did he say? And they begin to ask all the villagers all around. They begin to describe this man and what's he look like. They want to find him. And they want to thank him. They want to know what was said. And there's not a person in that village who said, I, I don't, I don't, who, yeah, who is this? I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, that doesn't ring a bell that there's nobody at all that meets that description. 
And I'm convinced, and Ed's convinced, that it was an angel of the Lord who showed up in that moment. And I share that story because I kind of often wonder, was there somebody with the time difference of 12 hours? Maybe somebody here in the States was woken up at 12 in the morning or midnight or 1 and just felt this burden to pray. I don't know. You ever have those burdens you don't know and you just pray? And you just keep praying until all of a sudden the burden lifts? I wonder if we get to heaven, you know, and, and I'm there with Ed and I see and I'll find somebody somewhere was praying at that exact moment. I don't know, but I do know that prayer changes things. And I would say, church of God, pray. Secondly, you know, and I, I say this with, you know, the opportunity present, you know, I love what Pastor said, we're not going to ever shake the dollar for bucks or I forget what you said, but, but I, I will unabashedly give you the opportunity to say, you know, I want to partner with that. It's like Paul to the, to the, to the Gentile church about the poor in Jerusalem. He gave the church an opportunity to participate with their giving and to be a part of it. We have several programs today that I, that I help oversee. Some of our programs for our children in Uganda, some of the kids in Mexico that we help take care of and feed and build houses for. We have a program called our Potatoes for Grandma, Grandmothers, and we help feed and take care of grandmothers and grandfathers actually as well, both in Russia and in Ukraine, and we help feed them, and that money goes through the local churches and the pastors, and so they get spiritual care and physical care. And so if that's something that you would like to participate with, I wouldn't, I'll just say this to, I always say to the church, I never ask, you know, the church to give, I never ask the believers, but I always say, ask the Lord what he wants you to give. And I would say this too, we always give this caveat, Wes is really good about it. Your first and foremost responsibility is to tithe, and that's to your local church. And if you're not doing that, then we'd say hold off on this. But if you are doing that, then you feel called by the Lord to go above and beyond that with your offerings. I would say ask the Lord. And I would say this is an, an, an investment that pays Great dividends. For those of you who are in the financial world, you're in the world and you're looking for a good stock, spiritually this is a great thing. And I would say this too, 100% of what you give goes to that program. We're unique ministry in that we're blessed by having those who fund our administrative costs and some of the overhead that we do in the travel and some of the different expenses so that we can stand in front of you and we can say, when you give, 100% of the money that you give goes to that person, to that grandmother, to that child, which a lot of organizations can't say, but we are able to say that. And I know this too, the, the, the missionaries that I sponsor personally are the ones that I pray for. I, I pray for more, but I do know this is the way God's wired our hearts. Where your treasure is there, your heart is also. And wherever I financially give, my heart is wrapped up either in that person or that ministry. The stocks that I'm invested in, I'm always checking on those stocks. It's amazing. How's Apple doing? How's Apple doing? <laughs> or whatever it might be. I was like, where your treasure is, you're kind of there. And I know the missionaries that I actually financially give to, I'm invested in and I know that I, I pray that much more. Church, the Bible teaches us that the road to the best things is often through the difficult things. The path of life is found on the other side of death. I don't know what that your dash looks like. I don't know where the Lord's calling you to go, but it's calling you to go and do something. Maybe it's across the street. He's calling you to get involved somehow, some way. But I guarantee you, as you say yes, as you let the mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, that same blessing that was Jesus comes to us as well. Father, I thank you so much, Lord. What a blessing it has been to, for me to be in this church, to be with believers. People who have a heart for you, who love you, who it's obvious who love one another. It's so encouraging to see and to feel that love. And so, Father, I just pray for every one of us. You know, we'd ask that question. What would you have us to do? Where do you want me to go? We'd take that evaluation of our own life and say, Lord, here am I. Send me, use me, however, wherever, whenever. My answer in advance is yes. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
I was just thinking and just praying as Sean shared that um, we've been in the book of Acts and, and we saw there in chapter 1 where uh, Jesus commissioned his people. He said, I want you to be my witnesses. He says in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, the bad neighborhood, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And And for our church... Far-reaching ministries is part of our uttermost parts. As I mentioned, we were getting started. If, if you uh, give to this church, to this ministry, uh, or if you give specifically if you, with the things that, that Sean's presented, you share the blessings. Uh, yeah, many of us, most of us can't jump on a plane and go to Sudan or to Ukraine, but uh, we can help to support those who God has called to do that with. And in doing so, we are fulfilling the Great Commission. So, Sean, thank you. Uh, just a wonderful, encouraging word this morning. And um, we're blessed that we could uh, have him come and share with us. So just encourage you, visit the table afterwards if that's on your heart. Uh, I love that. Like I mentioned, you know, we don't, we don't beg for bucks here, but we do make you aware of needs. And there are some real great needs that are out there in this worsening world. Uh, God is still on the throne. He's still working. He's still saving people. He's still providing in the midst of calamity. And uh, the name of Jesus is being lifted up. So with that, let's pray. And uh, then we'll continue on with a couple other things. So Father, thank you again for your faithfulness in our lives. And Lord, so often you you call upon us, you press us uh, into uncomfortable places. And, and Lord, because there's work you want to do in us, you want to do through us. And so I pray, Father, for any who uh, are burdened this morning that to simply respond. And as Sean said, if that's to go across the street uh, to share the love of Jesus, I heard of one person in our body who's has an appointment to share the love of Jesus with a Mormon lady. And so we pray for that, Father. We pray that your word would go out. We know that it doesn't return void. We pray, Father, for far-reaching ministries, for the many who literally put their lives on the line every day to go and to pour the love of Jesus into these cultures and societies and people's lives individually uh, at great personal risk, knowing that uh, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that as it has gone out, that it won't come back void and that you're using this little church and many churches across this land to have an impact globally. And we're blessed to be a part of that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.